Through this, uh, through this whole series thus far, talking about living by faith, I have felt the Holy Spirit moving just in a unique way in our church and in the lives of our people, in my life and in my family. I believe uh, deeply that the Lord is drawing us, modern American Christians, lost in our postmodern world, drawing us to believe in him and to trust him in a deeper, firmer, stronger way than we ever have before. And, and the desire, and I believe what the Lord wants to do is to teach us how to live by faith and in every facet of what that means. And the beauty of, of Hebrews 11 verse one is it gives us the definitive definition of faith according to God. And then the rest of the chapter, it's giving us the different sides of what it is to live by faith. And I believe that today, what we're going to talk about outside of our, just our genuine relationship with God and our connection with God through his word and through prayer, just our relationship with Jesus. I think what we're going to talk about today is one of the most powerful, one of the most imperative things that we could ever talk about in terms of living by faith in our relationship with, with Jesus. And, and I, I want to talk to us, and I think that it's, it's really important for us to remember this. Now, there may be people in this room, there may be people at home, in a house church, riding down the road. There may be people that you're not saved, you, don't, you, you know that you're not. You, you, you've, you know that you believe something about Jesus, but that isn't there. My hope and my prayer is that every single day that passes is a day that you will put your faith in Jesus and you will become a follower of Christ. And I promise you, the moment that you cry out, God will save you. But the thing that we have to remember is that these things that we're talking about in Hebrews 11 and through the course of this series, this is not about salvation. This is for those who are saved. It's not about being saved by faith, that's salvation. This is about what? Living by faith. It's about living by faith. And there is a, a side of faith in Hebrews 11, 7, and that's the verse for today. Uh, Hebrews 11, 7, there's a side of faith that... that uh, the Lord teaches us about that is significant and that it's powerful and it's taught through the life of Noah, through the story of Noah. Now listen, everybody and their mother knows about Noah. If you don't know about Noah, I can tell you one thing. You have never even driven by a church. Everybody knows about Noah. Noah, Noah and the ark, Noah and the animals. All right, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably hated learning about Noah because they only had about a cycle of four things. Once a month, they talked about Noah. Once a month, they talked about Samson. Once a month, they talked about David. Once a month, they talked about Jesus. And that was it. Then it started over again. That's why everybody, everybody quit coming to church. That's why. Everybody knows about Noah. But I, I want us to read this, and I want you to remember that there was a significant power. It was more than just animals two by two marching on the ark, whatever that stupid song was. There's something deeper here. There's something stronger here. And this is Hebrews 11, 7. This is what it says. It says, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family or to save his family. All right, so, so uh, the Spirit is, is, is through Paul. He's teaching us, and he's drawing back to Noah, and he's drawing back to the life of Noah and to this story, and he's saying there is a side of living by faith connected to this moment, and he says, by faith, Noah, after being warned, concerned with the things in the future, concerned with something to come, moved by fear, motivated by, by fear, some translations say out of fear, a holy fear, 
He built an ark and his family was saved by this. And so just in case you are the one person, no offense, we don't have to raise your hands, no offense. If you've never heard of Noah and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm gonna fill you in, okay? There was a season and a time in, in, in the creation of the world where things got about as bad as they've ever gotten. As, as God looked upon the earth, all he saw was deep-seated wickedness. Uh, his, his words to Noah was, every creature has deeply corrupted themselves. There was no hope. There, was, there, was, there, there were people who were so lost, they rejected God on such a level. It wasn't that they didn't believe in God. They believed in God and rejected him and gave themselves over to deep-seated wickedness. The Bible says that there was demonic activity in just in a crazy way all across the earth. There was just a lot of crazy, evil, wicked things happening. And God said, to renew my, my uh, promise, to fulfill my promise that I made to Adam and Eve and, and th that I laid out that I would, I would bring a blessing through. And then ultimately that promise is Jesus Christ. He says, Noah, I'm going to renew this covenant and this promise with you and your family because you are the only righteous ones that I can find on the face of the earth. And I'm going to wipe everything else out. I'm going to bring a flood and it's going to drown the world and every living, every living creature is going to die. So you need to build an ark. And he said, you need to build it out of gopher wood and you need to build it just like this, and I will lead the animals on it, and this is what we're gonna to do to fulfill the promise and to secure the future and to keep hope alive in this world because of all the wickedness and all the destruction. And that, that right there, that is what Noah heard this. He heard this from God, and he believed it, and it caused a fear in him, and so he started chopping out some gopher wood and making an ark. And then at some point in time, God came back and he said, okay, in seven days, it's coming. Seven days later, rain began to start 40 days, 40 nights. Noah literally rides out the storm up on the waves, floods the world. The waters begin to recede. Uh, the ark finally lands and then life goes out and begins. This is, this, is, this is a powerful moment of faith, of living by faith that Paul teaches us. And I want, I want you to look at this. And I was, I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm just going to be honest with you. The way, this was something that the Lord did dramatically in my life. He changed my entire perspective of how I view God's word, how I view the laws, the commands, the instructions, the wisdom like we see in Proverbs, the knowledge that, that comes through God's word, all the letters, uh, the epistles in the New Testament, like the ones we're reading right now in Hebrews, Revelations, all the things Jesus taught in the gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, all the way to, the, to the, his conversations with the Pharisees. This scripture, this one scripture right here in Hebrews eleven seven, changed my entire perspective of the way that I view God's word, knowledge, commands, wisdom, and everything that follows. And I want, I want this morning to take you on that journey that the Lord took me on. That, that's, what, that's what the goal is for this morning. And it started with this word warned or warning. By faith, Noah, after he was warned, some translations say after the warning. And I want, I, want to, I want to take you this because as I started to study this, I go through, I believe every single word in scripture is not, it's not an accident, that it's intentional. God is an intentional God. Every letter, every word, every phrase, it's there and it's written the way it's written for a very distinct purpose. And so the words that they choose to me, they carry power. And so as I go through and I study the scripture, I came to this word warned and I began to study that word. And as I began to study it, God showed me something that literally transformed my perspective on, the, on all of God's laws and commands and instructions. And, and that word warning at its base meaning in the, in the Greek, what it means, the, the word, the way that it's used the most, the word that's translated as warning, it literally means transaction, like a business transaction. And in a minute, it'll become very clear why it's translated warning like this. 
But I just want to talk for a second. I want to make sure that we all know what a business transaction is because I think we engage in so many business transactions that we might, we might be so enamored by business transactions that we don't even know what I'm talking about. Anybody stop and get some breakfast on the way to church? Nobody. Everybody's fasting. <laughs> Anybody's got, anybody got plans to go eat lunch after church? Anybody got plans after church? None of you guys have plans. You don't have any, this is where Jesus is going to find you when he comes back. Here, sitting in your chair. <laughs> Zero plans. This is it for me. This is it. Better be a good message. So, I, everything, everything, when, when we walk in, I'm, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. This right here, pastor confession. This, isn't, this, this used to be an idol for me. This is Red Bull, okay? I believe falsely, false biblical teaching coming up, God created this, okay? <laughs> All the other pastors that like to talk bad about me, I'm giving you something real, okay? God didn't really create this. This, this was something that I loved. This was something that I felt like it, 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 it helped me preach better. It gave me wings, okay? And I, dude, I used to drink these, and this is the little baby one. I used to drink the big ones, and sometimes two a day. But the Lord delivered me, hallelujah, amen, years ago from this drink. That's worth applauding. That's worth clapping for. That's freedom. But then I just changed to the sugar-free, and the cycle started all over again. So, but I want to tell you about this, this, this Red Bull. When you walk into the... <laughs> the kid laughing. I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm happy. You walk into the store, I want you to understand that there's three parts to the transaction. Every transaction you ever take part, every business transaction, there's three parts. Well, there's two parts to an unsuccessful transaction, but there's three parts to a successful transaction. And you don't think about it like this, but when you, when you walk into a gas station and you're thirsty or you walk into the QT or whatever it is and you go up, you don't realize what's happening, but they are making an offer to you. They're, this is sitting there all shiny in its glory and it's sitting there and it's saying to you, they're saying to you, I can satisfy your needs. This is healthy lies, okay? You will be more focused. You'll die early, but you'll be more focused, okay? This is, this is, gonna, this is everything you need, everything you want. This is going to satisfy you. They're making an offer to you, right? That's the first part of every transaction. There's an offer of some type. You might not realize it or think about it like that, but there is. Every single, there's an offer of some type. And the offer is, you need energy, drink me. I can hear it right now. Do you hear it? It's calling me back. Then you as the consumer, you have to make, uh, the second part is you have to either accept the offer or reject the offer. You have to say, you know what, Red Bull, I believe you. I believe that I will have energy and focus. I believe that my marriage will be better if I drink you. I believe that I will be a better, I'll be a more successful human being. And maybe even one day if I drink enough, I'll be able to fly. So I accept the offer and I take it out of the case. Now this is the part, all right? So all the thieves, you're gonna struggle with this one. But that's not the end of the transaction, is it? They made an offer. <clears throat> You've accepted it, but you can't just walk out with it or you'll get shot at some gas stations. <laughs> what has to happen? What's the third part? You got to pay for it. You got to walk up to the front. All right, you got to pay for it. You got to walk up. This is a, a, an action connected to your acceptance. Otherwise, the transaction isn't complete. That's what happens. You walk in, you, you see the offer. You accept it. I accept it. I believe you. I believe this. I believe this is real. I believe this is good. I believe this will satisfy my needs. So you accept it. But then you have to go up. It's not yours. You can't drink it. You have to go up and then you have to pay for it. There's, that's the third step. There's an action connected to this. Does anybody want this? Anybody? No? Steven's shaking his head. You want it? Come get it. Parents, can't you have it? I wash my hands of this. Okay. There you go. 
Warning, you'll die early, I promise. Like that, it's dangerous, okay? You'll look, you'll be focused and energized, but it will, it will, it will. I think that I, I just, I, I, I know it is. Everybody's like warning me all the time. I know it is, I still drink them. I know, I'm sorry. I know they're dangerous. That said, the problem with what she just did, she just came up, she took it from me. She doesn't really know how it's gonna taste unless she's already had one. Just play imaginary with me. Until she what? Until she takes it and she drinks it. So this is, I want you to understand there's some, and in, in Hebrews 11, he's, Jesus has given us, God's given us this very definitive thing that happens in a transaction. That's why he uses this word morning. Because when, when you come up and you see the offer of the Red Bull and you accept it, you believe it, then you have to act on it by buying it. But then only then in the future, only then in the future will you know for sure and certain after you open it and you take the drink that, man, this is satisfying. This is real. This is good. Every single purchase you ever make, this is the reality of it. You, there's an offer. There, you have to accept or reject it. If you accept it, then there is an, an action connected to that acceptance. And then you are believing that in the, in the future that this will, once you walk outside and you drink it, it will do it. Okay? So I, I want you to, with that in mind, I want you to go back and I want you to look at this because that word, that is what the word warned is and the word warning is. And, and because this is what God's doing. He's coming down to Noah and he's saying to Noah, I want to give you my truth. I'm going to give you my offer. I want to tell you about my reality right now. This is what truth. There is wickedness all over the earth. It is beyond hope. I've searched for righteousness and there is none. There is nobody that is even interested in me. They reject me. They have corrupted themselves. There is no hope. You're the only righteous one, Noah, and soon I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to bring rain for four days and 40 nights, and I'm going to flood the earth, and you need to build an ark. And if you will build an ark, I will renew my covenant with you, okay? And I will, I will, I will move on, and your family will be saved, and I will continue on with my promises through your bloodline. So he's giving you an offer. And then Noah has to, the same way with the rebel, Noah has to go, do I trust God? Do I believe him? Is this real? Is this valuable? And if he believes God and he trusts God and he accepts the offer, I want you to understand this. And he's looking into the future now. And I want you to see how the emotion is connected here. And it says, by faith, Noah, after he was warned, after the transaction, after the offer was given to him about what was not yet seen, he was, some translations say moved by fear. Some just say out of holy fear. Some say motivated by fear. And there's this emotion of fear here. So he believes it. Now, I want you to hold on to me because I'm going somewhere. There's an offer. He believes it. He accepts it. He believes it so much that there's genuine emotion attached to it. And he accepts it. But it wasn't the offer that saved his family. And it wasn't the accepting the offer that saved his family. And it wasn't the genuine emotion connected to believing that except his family. The only thing that saved his family was the action of building the ark. So I want you to think about this. By faith, Noah, after being warned, he was offered, he accepted. There was emotion there. And out of the action connected to the acceptance, he built the ark. And it was the ark that saved his family from the flood. So this is the thing that I want you to understand about every ounce of God's word, God's instruction, God's command, God's law, the wisdom, the knowledge, uh, the, the things that aren't necessarily commands, but just highly suggested by God, his, his idea and his perceptions of truth and reality, 
All of this, everything that God speaks, everything that God gives us, it is a transaction. It is an offer to you. And you have to accept or reject it. Now, this is where most Christians live. Remember, this is not a conversation about salvation. All right? Obedience and, and action and deeds and works, they have nothing to do with salvation. Everything that needed to be done for salvation was done and accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross through his death and through his resurrection. It is our faith in Jesus that saves us, that covers us with his grace. But that is being saved by faith. That is not living by faith. And the problem was so much of our lives, and especially so much of the modern American church, is that we think being saved by faith is the end of the game, it's just the beginning, and we never actually choose to live by faith. And so as God's pouring out these offers, pouring out these instructions, pouring out his will, pouring out these things before us, there are so many Christians, so many believers, so many followers of Christ that believe him, put this faith in Christ, they believe, they accept them as true, there's emotion attached to them, but when it comes to the action connected to the acceptance, there is none. And the reality of it is that if Noah would have believed God and accepted it and even had the emotions connected with it and even went around town preaching it and saying how much he believed it, but there was never the action of building the ark, Noah and his family would have drowned with everyone else. There has to be an action connected to the acceptance that we have in God. There has to be. Or it's useless. I want to go to James. Now, I'm going to go and tell you about James really fast. You don't like James, okay? Because James doesn't care about your emotions. James is one of those guys, he's just going to punch you right square in the face and smile at you. So there, there's some scripture that seems to kind of coddle us just a little bit. James, isn't one of, James doesn't do this. James just point blank delivers truth. And I, and I want us to just uh, humbly come before this conversation, because James was about, it, it rocked my world. It messed me up. He starts uh, in the middle of, of James 2, talking about not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. All right, and he's reflecting something that he's heard Jesus teach about the foolish man who hears the word, but then doesn't have any action associated with it. So when life comes, it just crushes you. Versus the wise man who hears the word and lives according to it. There's action connected to it. And when life comes, when the storm comes, he stands strong. And James is reiterating this through the chapter two, but I want to pick up where he, he turns specifically, not just the hearing and doing, but then he turns that hearing and doing to a faith conversation. And, and I want to pick up here in, in James 2, 14. This is what he says. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? It's worthless, in case you didn't get that. That's the point he's making. In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works or deeds or action associated with it, is dead by itself. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then this is one of the first punches. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith through my works. 
Now listen, anybody ever watch Mike Tyson box? Anybody? All right, I've been boxing just a little bit, okay? I got a bag, I win every day. No lie, confession. I, have, I had a 45-minute workout the other day, and there were, there were like 10 or 15 two-minute rounds with 30 seconds rest, and I literally went through all of my staff, starting with when I won't tell you who, what I thought was the weakest one, building all the way up to who I thought was the strongest one. I won't tell you who were the first 11, but John Doggett was the 12th one. If you don't know John, he's gonna come pray at the end of the service, and you'll see. And I, I destroyed John. I just beat him up. All right, I watched... Mike Tyson, and, and I want you to understand, he was famous for these little, these little touch jabs. Anybody, anybody that's 45, 50, I'm not, but I watched the, bam, bam, and then he did the, just the haymaker around, and he just knocked you slam out. So I want you to understand, all these little jabs, they're just little jabs. They're setting you up, and then he's about to just knock you slam out with this last one. Everybody ready to get knocked out? Amen? Okay, here we go. So he's jab, jab, jab. All right, you show me uh, your faith without works, jab. I'll show you my faith with works, jab. Then he says this, you believe that God is one and good. He says, you believe that there is one God. He's saying, you believe that there is one Christ. His name is Jesus, that he's the savior, he's the Messiah. There is one true God. And he says, good, good. You're a Christian, good. You're a believer of Jesus, good. You believe in Jesus. You believe that there is the one God, good. Then he delivers the sucker punch, the haymaker, the destroyer, the thing that knocks you out. And he says, the demons also believe and they shudder. So I wanna, I wanna make sure we do not miss this. I wanna make sure we get knocked out cold. That's my goal right now. So he's jab, jab, jabbing. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says this. He says, you believe in Jesus. You believe there's one God. Great job. So do demons. Demons believe that Jesus is Lord. They know it. Jesus believed that, he, that he's the Messiah. They know it. But the difference in demons and a lot of us and a lot of modern American Christians is that even demons shudder. His point is even demons have action connected to their acceptance of what they believe about Jesus. His point is, he goes, there are demons in hell that are living more by faith than many of us today that they believe, and because they truly, genuinely believe that Jesus is who he is, they have an action. They shudder, it's fear, it's turmoil. They have to bow down, they have no power, but they said even demons have an action associated with the acceptance. That is what James is driving his point home here. He says, I want you to understand that you believing and accepting and having no action makes you more, less living by faith than the demonic world and every demon in hell. I told you. Everybody's like, he's just jabbing. He's just joking around. He's building it up. It doesn't, get any, it doesn't get any more scary and terrifying than that. To say that you in our modern American, postmodern thought process, anti-God, anti-faith, anti-everything, anti-unseen, anti-future, anti-leaning on God, anti-depending on God, in our little modern world, this is one of the most difficult things that God says you cannot just believe and accept what I'm giving. There has to be action associated with it. They're demons living more like followers of Jesus than a modern American church people. There has to be action. Part of the reason, listen, I, I, I want us to understand, part of the reason that there has to be action connected with what we accept is because, listen, I, 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 want, you to, I, want, you to, I want you to get this. I want you to see this. 
Your faith in Christ saves you. But if you try to live this life without faith, meaning without action connected to what you accept and what you believe, then your faith might as well be dead. That's the whole point James is trying to make here. He goes on and says, foolish man, are you willing to learn? Faith without works is useless. And he goes on to describe these different levels of faith, these different levels of righteousness. And I want to just hang out there. He goes, the question he's asking, before we move on, the question he's asking, he's saying, no offense, listen, don't be offended. This is God. So if you're offended, take it to God. He says, are you a fool? He said, is it going to take evidence and proof to convince you there has to be action connected with your acceptance and your faith? And his point is, is that that evidence and proof will come one minute too late. And it'll be a painful, painful lesson to learn. He says, so learn it on the front end. And again, this is not about salvation. This is about living by faith. I want to go just a little bit deeper. I want, I want, to, go to, I want to go to Jesus really fast. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a famous conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. All right, and, and I want you to understand, the Bible says that early on in John 4, that they come up to this town, they've been traveling, that Jesus was tired and that he was hungry. So the disciples went to get food, and Jesus, because he was tired, he sat down at the well. And we know that he was thirsty because the first thing that the woman did when the woman came is that Jesus asked for a cup of water, asked for a drink of water. And then this starts a conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And ultimately, uh, this conversation leads to her believing and knowing in her heart that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And then eventually she goes down into her town. She tells everybody. Uh, they, they start to believe. Jesus goes down into the town and he preaches. Uh, many believers come out of the town. There's basically a revival and it's an amazing situation. But I want to talk about the conversation that happened right after or right as that woman was leaving. I'm going to pick this up in John uh, chapter 4, verse 27. Remember, the disciples went to get food, and now they're coming back. John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. At, when I was younger, I was like, was Jesus ugly? I didn't understand. Like, well, they were shocked that a girl was talking to him. That was just my 14-year-oldness. Uh, that's not what. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. So I want to hang on to this. Rabbi, eat something. They're urging him. They didn't just say, hey, bro, I got the food. Let's eat. They were urging Jesus to eat something. So before we get to this thing, because Jesus just delivers one of his mysterious, out of nowhere teachings. But they arrived because they've been traveling. He was tired. It says he was tired. So he sat down at the well to rest. He was hungry. That's why they were going to get food. We know that it was a six o'clock hour. So we know that it was around dinner time. And we know that, that the, the, the woman uh, was coming. He asked her for a drink. He's thirsty. He, he, there's something. And then they're urging him to eat. There's something about his physical appearance. There's something about his demeanor where they know and are very aware he is physically drained and he needs food. He needs physical food for his physical body. So they're urging him. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them something powerful. And in typical Jesus fashion, he says, I have food you don't know anything about. And then in typical disciple fashion, they completely missed it and just thought, okay, maybe somebody brought him some food, whatever. And then Jesus just clarified for them in verse 34, John 4, verse 34, he said, my food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told him. So I don't want you to miss this. He's physically drained. They're urging him to eat because he's physically weak and he needs food and he needs drink. But Jesus takes this, uh, this second to teach them about spiritual food. All right, and he's comparing what physical food is for the physical body to the spiritual food and what it is to the spiritual life. And so you've got to understand, what is food? What is physical food to the physical body? It's the thing that sustains us. It's the thing that energizes us. It's the thing that empowers us. It's the thing that, that, that satisfies us. Physical food for the physical body. It's the thing that allows us to keep going and to keep living. Without food, you die. You starve to death. You need physical food so the physical body can keep moving and keep living. So he's saying, I have food already that you don't know about. And he says, my food, like physical food for the physical body, my spiritual food for my spiritual life, he says, is doing the will of my father. He says, there, there's something about obedience. There's something about fulfilling the will, achieving the will, doing the will. There's something about the actions associated with the acceptance of the offer, what we believe. There's something about obeying and walking in this and living out God's will that is to us spiritually like physical food is to the physical body. So there's a lot of Christians and they struggle. Why am I so unsatisfied? Because you believe in a God, but you don't have action associated with your acceptance. Why, why do I feel like it's just so hard for me to move? Why do I feel like I'm just so confused? Why does it feel like I just can't get ahead in life? Why does it feel like I'm just always five steps behind? What, and, and, and Jesus is trying to say, it's because you're spiritually starving because the thing, there, there's something about walking in obedience. There's something about fulfilling the will of God. There's something about attaching action to what we've already accepted in our heart and we believe is true. There's something about trusting enough, not just to accept, but then to act on that acceptance that feeds us and energizes us and empowers us and sustains us and satisfies us and allows like the physical food, allows the physical body to keep going and keep growing and keep getting stronger. Obedience and the will of God and fulfilling this allows the spiritual body to continue to grow and to be stronger and to be empowered and to move on. We are living and breathing because we're eating a lot of physical food, a lot of us too much. And we're spiritually dying because there's no action connected to our acceptance. Because we're not living out the obedience. And, and this changed my whole perspective. And I think that in our, in our modern world, we, 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 we so often view the commands of God and the laws of God and the instructions and knowledge and wisdom, we view them all wrong. We kind of view them through the lens of sin rather than through the lens of the Father. Because sin, like everybody's so, and I, I cannot stand churches that are so hyper-focused on sin. Because sin was the problem, it wasn't the main event. Jesus didn't come for sin's sake. Jesus came so that he could destroy the wages of sin Take on that so we could be in a living, loving relationship with God now and forever. And when we view the law and the, the, the instructions only through, through, through sin's eyes, then we're only viewing it through this, this eye of disobedience. Like these are the things that we can't do. And these are the things that we're required to do. And if we don't, then we'll miss the mark and it's a sin. And that's like the most worst way to view the word of God. Jesus has already taken care of sin 
Newsflash, you're always gonna struggle with it. The Bible says that there is sin alive in your flesh and that this is a part of sanctification. It's a part of the transformation process that we are not, we're not perfect, that we will struggle. That's not the point. The point is, is that there is action with what we've accepted, that there is obedience. Not that you're perfect every day, but that you are striving to obey and live out the will of God. And he says that this is, that's why if you go back and now when you read all through Genesis Revelations, you see the first conversation that God had with the people of Israel. He gets them out in the desert. He brings down the law and he goes, listen, I'm your God and I want you to be my people. I'm your father and I want you to be my sons and daughters. I'm the king and I want you to be my nation. And he goes, and here are the, here are the instructions. Here are the ways. This is the way I want you to live because I created the whole world and I know the way it's supposed to work. And he says, this is the way at which I want to bless you. If you live like this, there will be so much blessing and goodness that will come to your life. He says, he presents to them an offer. This is the offer. And he goes, if you obey it, there's crazy awesome goodness. And if you disobey it, it's not that God punishes you. Disobeying, living outside of his will, it destroys us. It's chaos. And there's so much throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, where Jesus is trying to get us to this point where we see there's not just a requirement, that there is power, that there's blessing and obeying Jesus. Hebrews 11:7 7 says, by faith, by faith, Noah, after he was warned, after he saw the offer, he accepted it. And there was an action connected to what he accepted and his family was saved. And so the challenge here today is I don't want to end, I don't want to end big. I'm going to end with this reality. There are things in your life, there are areas of your life, every single, every single area of your life is covered in this book. From your single life, to your relationship life, to your marriage, to sex, to drugs, sex, and violence, to rock and roll, to finances, to kids, to raising kids, to having kids, not having kids. There is no area of your life, there's no season of life that you will ever be in that is not distinctly and fully covered in this book. And God has given you these commands, these instructions, this wisdom, this knowledge, and this truth as an offer, not to curse you or condemn you, but to bless you and to empower you. And he's begging you, just trust me. Don't just accept it, but then live your life out. Let the action be connected to the acceptance. And so listen, there's areas in your life you trust God on and there's a lot of obedience, but then there's areas of your life you don't trust God on and there's no obedience. So my challenge to you today is to let the Holy Spirit teach you. Let God speak to you about what area of your life there's no action connected to what you accept and what you say you believe. And let God deliver this part of you. Have a moment of repentance and then move on and start to live in it because Jesus said, listen, I've got food that sustains me, satisfies me, energizes me, and empowers me. I'm not ashamed to tell you that a life of obedience is a life of power and a life of blessing. I'm not perfect. I sin more than you want your pastor to sin. I'm just being honest with you. I'm human and I screw up and I mess up and I lose my temper and I say things I wish I hadn't said and I disobey, and I struggle with things. It's not about being perfect, but it's about waking up every day and understanding. I believe 
I accept it and I'm gonna work to obey because I'm gonna live out God's will and I want whatever he wants for me. And I'm gonna live this life for his glory, for his honor. And when we live by faith in this way, you pick the scripture, every different facet of the word blessing, he says, I'll bless you. I'll pour it out. I'll open the floodgates of heaven. I will flood your life with goodness and peace and joy. And ultimately, we get the fullness of God. And that's what we want and what we need more than anything. So we need to get excited about obeying God and living by faith in this way. So let God speak to you. I challenge you, find that area of your life and start acting on what you already believe. Amen? All right, let's stand.